0: If you were to have lived in the 500s, you would have had several things that were drastically frightening to be under. We thought 2020 was bad. Well, the 500s was a time period in which you had the rise of the Islamic hordes in the South. But even before them came a broad group of conquesters, namely the Huns. Attila the Hun was one of the most powerful conquesters in the history of the world. Coming from the Mongol Plains, he broke into the West, conquering all of the different Visigoths and Ostrogoths and all those Goth Goths. And what happened was as he rolled through all of these barbarian tribes and all of these kingdoms and into the Roman areas, people were flooding down into the Roman Empire. Now, that Roman Empire was weaker than ever. Christianity had grown to a great level, but political things had gone on and had been broken up. In the meantime, in comes Attila the Hun with his armies marching straight for the heart of the Roman Empire of the West, and that was Rome itself. In the meantime, as they're hearing these reports and they see them marching forward, the scaredy-cat Roman Emperor of the West decided he wasn't going to go visit with Attila the Hun. Instead, he chose the bishop of Rome, namely Leo I, and says, Leo, you go out there. Leo heads out with a small band of, of men to meet Attila the Hun, the great warrior, the conqueror, the one who was ravaging and destroying the vast swaths. You went anywhere. Everyone was afraid of the Huns. He sits down across from a table with them, and in a long debating conversation, ends up having Attila never even enter Italy, turns around and leaves completely. And what Leo acted as in that moment was one who was an intermediary, one who set himself as the representative to to ensure that this wrath would be assuaged and turned back, that it would never come to them. In a very real way, Leo, as this original pope of the Catholic Church, revealed and acted like our Lord Jesus actually did. And Leo would do this again, actually, when another group would come in to attack Rome and sack Rome without an emperor. And he just had a knack of being an intercessor, an intermediary. And for us, we have an intermediary who has done a greater thing than back off the Huns, than back off a war, than back off some kind of difficulty. And that was actually Jesus Christ, who came to take the wrath of God. And we need to remember that what we live under is the fact that our intermediary, Jesus the man, has stood in between God's wrath and us, God's right punishment to us sinful human beings, and He was willing to bear it and appease God so that we would be saved. And this is the subject of one of the greatest creeds we can find in Scripture. In fact, it's found not in, um, not in anywhere but in a simple message given to Timothy by Paul in his leadership letter to <clears throat> Timothy. If you want to go there with me and grab your Bible and open up to 1 Timothy chapter 2, what we'll see is actually this very clear and concise just theological statement about who Jesus is and what he's done is Paul is trying to help Timothy to make sure that this church in Ephesus is going to be reassembled. We've been talking about the some assembly being required. And as you're looking and turning there, we want to realize that Timothy has been set into Ephesus to deal with some false teachers. And now he's been told, first of all, to pray for everyone, pray for kings and all these people, everybody. First of all, the church is to pray as we reassemble. And then Paul gives that reason, and it is the creed that he gives it to us. He says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator, Christ Jesus, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and apostle, telling you the truth I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles, and faith and truth. And this is the subject we're going to look at today, because what we're going to see is this creed becomes a centerpiece for the reassembling of the church. It is why we should pray. He says, we should be praying, and God is pleased with our prayers because for there is one God, and He goes into the creed. This is the impetus for you and for me to actually begin To pray. It is the emphasis for you and me to actually begin to reach. It is the impetus that you and me should begin to go into this world with a global mindset. These are all the pieces that we're going to see as we lay all of this out. And I want to encourage you today that you and I might have a challenge for 2021 that as we see what's going on in our world, as we see what's going on in our nation, as we see what's going on in our church, that as we attempt to reassemble, we will see that we are the people who can alone pray, that we alone can approach God in prayer. It's the church. We alone get this opportunity, and it comes from this creed. That's an implication. Notice again how it starts. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Let's just start right there. I mean, this is incredibly important. If there is only one God and there is only one mediator, that means there's only one way to God. There is no other path. There is no other entry into the presence of God, but through this one mediator, Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus himself would say this on the night that he would be heading to the cross. Jesus would say, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We don't come to the Father in prayer through anyone else but Jesus. We don't come to Him to be saved in any other way but through Jesus. And this is critical then. This means that you and I have access to God, that there is only one way to God, and we've been given that way through Jesus. And He will only listen, and we can only approach the Father through Jesus, so He's only hearing our prayers. You go, whoa, wait, 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 wait. Are you kidding me? You're saying that non-Christians can't talk to God and God won't answer? That's exactly what I'm saying. Without a mediator, when they approach God, they come into a conflict with God. They're not going to be listened to by God. The only prayer I believe God listens to from people who are not following Jesus is the prayer of God forgive me of my sins, I'm willing to follow Jesus. Now, out of His grace, He might grant them something that they desire so as to lead, Him, lead them to Him, but God listens to the prayers of His people. God does not listen to the prayers of those who are not following Him, who have not been reconciled through Jesus Christ. And so we have to realize we're in a very unique position. Only you and I can actually pray. Right, let's do a little thought experiment here. What if one day you were out walking around somewhere out in Seattle or, or wherever, and you were coming across on the street, and you helped somebody out, and you didn't know who they were, and you bought them a cup of coffee, and you were, and you prayed for them, and they were just so overwhelmed by your kindness and your goodness, they turn around, and they say, "Hey, listen, you know, do you know who I am?" You're like, "No." He's like, "I'm Bill Gates." And you're like. Oh, really? Like the guy who made Microsoft? Yeah, he's like, here's my, and here's what I want to do. You were so kind to me, so I want to be kind to you. Here is my bank account number and my password. Use whatever you need or whatever you want in whatever way you want to use it. Now, can you imagine a Bill Gates? Obviously, this isn't going to happen, but play the thought game with me for a minute. Bill Gates gives you all of his financial authority, all of this opportunity to use his funds any way that you would think is right. And what you do is you go home and you determine, you know, I'm, I'm not going to use Bill Gates fund. I'm going to work for him myself. I'm going to pay off my own house. You see someone on the side of the road who has need and you're thinking, you know what? Uh, you know, I don't have any money to give them right now. I mean, you have all of Bill Gates' funds behind you and you have only access to them other than him. And you could go and get anything you needed, but you never use it. I believe so many of us are like that with prayer. What we have is the ultimate, infinite access to God's power, His desire, His longing. We have access to God. We have opportunity to pray. We are the only ones with this access, and we don't go. We don't pray. We've been calling Olive Branch for this year to become a place of prayer, and it's because we're the only ones who can pray for the world. We're the only ones who can pray for our nation. We're the only ones who can pray, and God will answer, realizing that He's our King, realizing that He's also our Father. He wants to answer, but He has a plan, but we get to bring it forward to Him. And so I want to challenge you this year as you're stepping out, knowing that He is our mediator, knowing that we have this access, that we get to be in the presence of God. When you meet someone and they ask you for prayer, don't say, okay, well, uh, yeah, I'll pray for you. No, pray for them right then, right there. Stop and do it. You may feel like it's a feeble prayer. That's okay. God knows what you're asking. You know what? You may need to just... Stop saying praying when you text back and actually text a prayer. You may actually need to write the prayer on that Instagram post or write the prayer on that particular uh, social media post or whatever you find yourself at because you need to start praying immediately, entering into the presence of our Father who is the sovereign over all, who has access to the infinite wealth and infinite power to answer prayer, and we need to go to Him, not just once but over and over consistently, And we need to act now we need to start now see because we have the access we're responsible in a very real way we have the responsibility now for this world because god has called us to reach this world god has called us out beyond this world and we need to be praying for our family praying for our friends praying for our church praying for our neighbors but our focus can't simply just be local And that's what the rest of this, I believe, was was intended for. That creed jumps in to remind us that we must have a global focus. Our focus can't be so narrow that we only sit in our local Corona area. We should be praying for them, but always God is pushing us out beyond our immediate, beyond our connections, beyond those we know right now to a bigger focus. Look again at the text. He says there's one God, there's one mediator between God and men. So we have that responsibility. But it's God and men. The man Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom for who? All. And this is a big deal. Christ ransomed himself for all. And so our focus should be all. We said this last week, but I want to clarify it again. Regardless of where you stand, whether that's all people groups, whether it's all sections of groups, look, the bottom line for us is that we see that God has paid the ransom. The door is open for everyone. The gospel is available to be given to everyone. When you give the gospel out, if they receive it, they can come into faith and they can walk into heaven. They can have a relationship with God. They can have this amazing connection with the Father in heaven who has all the supply. Yes, it can be theirs. That's the incredible thing. And so we need to find a way to reach out to them. We need to find a way in prayer to connect with them because we need to go beyond our comfortable groups. We need to be to the all. We need to go beyond our connected groups to the all. We can't just simply get focused in. All is way bigger than just those people directly around us. And so I want to challenge you that maybe that you and I need to reach out beyond just the local people and start thinking about, well, who else should we reach? Classically, when we talk about the groups of all, we can talk about the Jews and the Gentiles. And when, when we think about this idea, the Jewish people saw themselves as a group and they saw the rest of the nations as Gentiles, as another group. And they saw them in two ways. They saw them as other ethnically, ethnos, but they all, never ever saw them as secular. They always saw them as, get this, they saw them as religious. When we talk about reaching out to other people, we're talking about the need to reach out to different religions, different religious people. We need to reach out beyond our comfort groups to different religious people. Um, We we need to see that it's not just Christian and non-Christian, it's Christians and other religions out there. That when we engage, we're going to be engaging beyond just another group, but into other religious beliefs. Um, this global focus that we're talking about is going to normally be a focus on religion. I was uh, sitting with a friend many years ago, um, and we were discussing what was being taught in the public school districts, and especially in particular public school book texts. And what was interesting is we were going back and forth. This, She was kind of telling me that, yeah, you know, it's not that big of a deal, and it's all secular. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You got to understand something here. I'm a religious person, right? I purvey religious beliefs, correct? She's like, yeah, yeah. I said, don't you think I know religion when I see it? She's like, yeah. I was like, this is religion. And I started pointing out that the lack of evidence, I started pointing out that there wasn't a balanced approach to these things, that they were just dogmatic statements told to be held in a faith. And I'm like, this is a type of religion that you're purporting here. In fact, Today, my daughter is taking this, this yoga class, and, and while it, we're like, this is weird and stuff like that, um, she's trying to resist um, all these other pieces. They are trying to teach us spirituality. It, is, it would be like saying that we're having communion for a snack at school. We purport religious beliefs. There are religious beliefs everywhere, all around us. Even secular visions are still religious beliefs. They're answering the basic questions, is there a God? Is, what, who is that God? Why are we here? How do we solve the problem? What's the issue with the world? These are religious questions. And even when we claim we're secular, we have religious concepts behind them. In fact, they're often secular materialist concepts or humanist concepts, which is a different form of a religion. And so I want you to remember when you engage and you're praying and you're going into this world and we're having a global focus, that global focus needs to be religiously focused. You're engaging with other religions, not blank slates. That's why it's so hard sometimes to pass the faith on to someone because they are honestly in a different religious zone and we need to engage with them. Uh, Years ago, and I love telling this story, my daughter got really, really into fairies. Um, She had a friend, and they were both making these little fairy gardens and putting them in front of the house. It was kind of this kind of kitschy thing that happened for a little while. And while she was doing this, one of our friends from our small group started to write these little tiny notes and folding them up and putting them in the garden when she would leave from small group. My daughter would wake up in the morning, there would be these letters from a fairy named Trixie, and she was just so excited, and and we're like... Yeah, that's funny. That's cool. Whatever. We we kind of let it go. It's kind of an imagination game. It's cute. Until one night I'm putting my daughter to bed and she is trying desperately to proselytize me into believing in fairies. Like, you have to believe in fairies, dad. If you don't believe in fairies, they're going to die. You need to clap right now if you believe in you know, that whole I'm just like challenging me and pushing me. There's I have evidence. There are these things and that's a fairy and just like and I'm like going, "I wow, this has gone way farther than an imagination game. This is becoming a belief. And so I just had to look at her. I said, babe, there's, there are no fairies. There's no such thing as fairies. And she's like, yes, there are. And I'm like, and she's like, I got these notes. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Those notes were written by, and I named the person in our group. And she's like, what, what? But you didn't know, no. And she starts crying and she starts breaking down. She's like, you, she was lying to me and, and you guys are lying to me. And I'm like, no, no, no. And so I had to go through, I'm like, you know, what do you think about this? And I asked questions about like Easter wedding. Well, oh, that's not it. And tooth fairy, there's no tooth fairy. That's different. And all the, you know, it's like all this stuff. And finally we get down to the fact that she's just bawling and, uh, you know, it's kind of mad at me and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, where does this put you with God? She, she's dry straight up. Well, that's different. You know, she's just fine with that. But here's the thing. You may be thinking right now, you are the worst father in the world. To tell your daughter that there are no fairies and to do that to her, crush her little imagination like that. Look, right there is just a small way. If you feel that way about how I tried to handle it with my daughter, whether it was great or not, or we both laugh about it today. If you have a difficulty in trying to stop a a child from believing something false, how hard is it going to be to tell someone who sincerely believes in their faith that it's false? Can you look the Mormon in the eye and truly tell them that they're believing in a false Christ? Could you look the Muslim in the eye and say that Allah is a God who has deceived them and is not the same as the God of the Bible? Could you look at the Buddhist and tell them, listen, the dharmas aren't real, that the spiritual reality you're seeking cannot be had, you're, in, you're destined to meet your creator, um, and he has so much more for you. Can you look at someone who, who honestly and sincerely believes in their faith, and see that and tell them and help them see that they're sincerely wrong if we're having trouble telling our children when things are slightly uh, imaginative and wrong, how difficult is it going to be to challenge someone with a different religion? And this is exactly the point. When we engage in our in a conversation, we are help, wanting to help people see there's a greater religion. There's a greater thing to come to. That while they're slaving and fighting, trying to get a connection with Allah, we have a connection with Yahweh. And He is available and He has paid for their sins and He's opened open access to heaven. While they are Struggling to make the gods appeased in their caste and deal with their karma. We have a God who has washed away karma, dealt with that kind of thing. He's ended it, and He once and for all has given them salvation. That the true God who made up all the gods who are deceiving them has come to give them hope. Not one God amongst many, the only true God. I mean, can we get into this and look at the secular person and say, the only living God who can answer your prayers will do so? And this is the engagement that. we have to have. And I'm afraid that many of us will not have the stomach for this when we realize what God is calling us to is a challenge of other religions. When Paul, when Jesus, when all these people go out, when Jesus came, he had to challenge the Jewish religion about their belief in Messiah. Paul had to challenge the false religions of the world to the true God. Every apostle, every Christian has done this through the centuries. When we enter into a global sphere, when we enter into our world, we enter into a religious reality, whether that is the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the New Age, Muslims, Buddhists, secular beliefs, secular humanism, we need to do this and have a plan. And so I want to challenge you, what's your plan? Some of you have an affinity, you're connected. What's your plan to reach out to these other religions? First and foremost, I think, as you're connecting with those around you, as you're thinking globally, you need to connect and identify what is that religion you're dealing with, because it's a real religion. And if you need to learn about some of the views that are around us to help you begin to have a global vision, uh, another religious vision. Then I want to challenge you to go back to some of our series. We did one on the, called The Others many years ago. We went through Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses and some others. We've done one just a few years ago called Pathways, where we address some of our major religions that are surrounding us. And I want to challenge you to go onto Right Now Media and study and learn about the other religions so you are ready to bring them to the better, to the beautiful, to the eternal God who is powerful and there to save them. And So what's your plan? It needs to include praying for these people. It needs to include an opportunity to reach these people. It needs to be an opportunity to get around them to engage in conversation. Just a simple one has been my a couple in our church who regularly has to go see their doctor and they've been engaging this doctor now for over two years buying him a Bible, slowly giving him information, talking to him about church services, these kinds of things. And they love to come in and get a little bit more information as they're learning and growing in an attempt to reach this man. This is how it simply works. But remember, we need to focus in a way that we're talking to other religions. And I'll be honest, those most stuck in other religions without any help are in other countries. And that's why I've said that we need to pray and reach the nations. We need to pray and reach all the different nations. We need to have a plan and that plan is going to be more intentional than just those directly around us. We got to have a plan to reach those of different nations, those of different religions on our block, but then even further to other real international nations. That means we have to have a plan to get across borders. We have to get a plan to get engaged with people in those locations. We have to be more intentional and it's way harder. It's going to be more expensive. It's going to be more difficult. And yet this is the calling that we have. And well, why here at all of Ranch? We focus on global missions. We focus on getting the gospel to where it's never been known. And so we need you to be praying for those nations to have open doors. We need to be praying that they would receive this message. Do We need to be praying that our missionaries and global workers and all those who are going overseas would have access back into those countries, that they could get there Soon, within the months, they've been waiting and being challenged that their minds would be sponges to absorb the cultures and the languages so they can communicate the gospel. We need to be praying that also where the Christians are in these countries and are being persecuted, that they would be protected, that they would have strength, and that the gospel would flow through them. Because the persecuted in these nations are some of those who are making the biggest differences. Be it the persecuted in China, be it in North Korea, be it in the Middle East, be it in Mexico, be it in these locations where the churches are constantly being persecuted. We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters. Guys, it starts with prayer for the nations. It begins there, and then we learn as well. And where can you learn? Well, I'll give you a few examples. Operation World is an excellent website you can go to and check out, and it'll give you information about Christianity in those nations uh, and how to pray for them with direct prayer requests. Joshua Project will give you a people group to pray for. Um, We're going to be focusing, as we have right now, on a nation. Once a month, be praying for that particular nation that we're looking at. We want you guys to engage in that way. Pray for the missionaries. Pray for the persecuted. This is, uh, you go to Voice of the Martyrs, or you can go to Open Doors, and they'll give you a list of ways to pray for those who are being persecuted in the world. If you want to pray for the justice of the world, you can go to International Justice Mission, and they are a Christian organization fighting for religious freedom. We can be praying for all these different ways, and we need to be praying. I love this quote. We need to be praying, and that's where we start. John Bunyan, who wrote, Pilgrim's Progress put it this way. You can do more than pray after you've prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Did you get that? We can do, you you can do more after you've prayed. We can get out there and really reach after we've been praying, but you cannot do more than pray until you have. Guys, we need to be praying for these nations. And once we have prayed, then we got to pay the cost. To achieve God's global vision. We're going to have to pay the cost. Notice again what this says. Back to the creed. There is one God. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So we alone have the access and the responsibility. He gave himself as a ransom for all. That's a global perspective. Every other religion out there has been invited to come to Christ. And yet there is a ransom here. It's a testimony given at the proper time, a ransom and a testimony for today. It is now time that we give this information. It is now time that we present these things. We have a cost to pay. Jesus paid the cost with his life. He gave himself as a ransom. That is critical. If our Lord gives himself as a ransom, how much more than do we, following his example, being living in his gospel, need to give of our own lives the cost to reach the nation's? And I want us to think about that because if we're going to go and we're going to share, if we're going to even pray, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us our comforts. There is going to be comfort that is lost. It's going to get uncomfortable. And Jesus told us this. He himself said, now, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to go over the other side. And the scribe came and said, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Right? That's what we're saying. We're going to go with you, Jesus. Yes. He says, okay, well, foxes have holes and birds have the air. Uh, Birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you willing to be uncomfortable with me? Are you willing to say goodbye to the comforts of your home, the comforts of your life, the comforts of some of you are willing to say yes today and go? Others of us, maybe it's downsizing. Maybe it's taking an opportunity putting ourselves in, a, in an uncomfortable space so that the gospel can grow. And what would happen if the church did this, where we freed ourselves up, not in debt, not bound down by our possessions, but able to use those things for the sake of the mission of God globally and locally? And what if it's the discomfort of staying up all night, praying on behalf of the church, praying on behalf of the globe, praying on behalf of nations, praying that a certain religious group would come to know Him? What would happen if we were there spending every morning going through difficulty to pray about these things, of, of being awkward when we reach out and talk to somebody, our neighbors, that, that cashier, that waitress, whatever it is. Yes, it's going to cost comfort. It's going to cost money. It's going to cost time. Jesus tells a parable about a, a steward who's about to be fired and he runs around and he quickly chops everybody's bills down that he could get to before he's fired. And, and God says, or Jesus says, that guy, that guy was a shrewd, shrewd manager. In fact, his parable ends with, I tell you, Disciples, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. In other words, with your money, with all the things you gather, make friends for yourself so that when it fails, so when the money fails you, uh, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. In other words, we need to see that all our accumulation, all our wealth, all our stuff, whether you think it's bad, good, doesn't matter. He says, fine, you think it's bad, use it for the sake of the kingdom of God. Use it and reach people for Christ. Let's get out there. Be shrewd with this and see more people come to know him. It's going to cost us money. It's going to cost us vacations. It's going to cost us some stuff. It's going to be a situation where we need to reach. And it's going to cost us relationships. Remember, Jesus is the one who told us, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. His whole point is it will cost relationships, comforts, life purposes, all this stuff. Jesus was clear. He gave his life as a ransom. It will cost us to say goodbye to family. It'll cost us to say goodbye to friends. It's gonna cost us to say goodbye to loved ones because we're reaching them with Christ. Guys. To go global, people literally have said goodbye. I had this year the pleasure of a bittersweet moment. I watched a friend of mine, a deep friend of mine, a sister um, in a real sense, that get married overseas. This was a wedding I had hoped I was going to get to perform many, many, for many, many years, many, many times. And the bottom line was I had to watch it online as it happened half a globe away. And I was excited and I'm still excited for her, but the bottom line is that was the cost that was paid so that she could reach where she's reaching. And we can reach where we're called to reach. See, we have plans and those plans will involve costs. And when you have a cost, be willing to pay it. When you have a plan. Be willing to pay the cost for the prayer. Be willing to pay the cost for the time for the education. Be willing to pay, pay the cost because I believe in all this, God may uniquely call you to a specific group. I believe God may challenge you as you begin to pray and educate yourself and grow that you will be challenged to a specific group. This is what Paul was. Paul ends it with this. I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the nations in faith and truth. A teacher of a people who have other religions. I was called to reach them. I was called to get them. That was Paul calling. Timothy, was in the calling. Everyone's called somewhere. I don't believe any Christian goes through this life without a calling, and your calling may be right there in your neighborhood. It may be right there amongst each other, and as you pray, and you pray for the nations, and as you seek, and you grow in your your love for God, and as you share Christ, and as you come to realize what God's doing, it may be a particular religious group right around the corner. Maybe the Mormons, maybe the Jehovah's Witnesses, and maybe somebody like that, because God's put them in your life. It may be that you keep encountering atheists, and you're like, this is what God's called me to do. It may be that you keep encountering you know, Chinese communists or you keep encountering people who are in, uh, in the Middle East. And God keeps telling you, I need people to go. And he may convict you. And it's time for you to listen to that conviction and move forward. But it always begins with prayer. It always begins with prayer. And then from that prayer, moving to action and paying the costs as we go. And that's what Paul is calling Timothy to do. If we're gonna reassemble the church, we're gonna reassemble in prayer. We're gonna reassemble in prayer for the nations with an attempt to reach the gospel out to everyone, locally and globally, as best as we can. So as we close today, I wanna challenge you to actually pray. Let's actually pray for the nations first, and then the missionaries, and lastly, for those who are lost in other religions. And so right now, I'm just going to give a minute for you to actually bow your head and pray over these three things. And I'm going to close it up and I'm going to pray as well. So if you'd like, just just bow your heads right there. If you want to just join us and let and just pray for those three things. God, I know there are going to be people praying right now. I pray they would continue their conversation with you on this throughout the next week. And I ask that you would indeed just open the doors of the nations to the gospel. Open the doors to our nation. Open the doors to the nations that surround us. That your message may spread as as our brothers and sisters are persecuted there. Give them faith. Give them um, comfort. Give them um, courage as they continue to spread that gospel and move it forward. God, would you give us the challenge to go and get that message to the nation. So we lift up those who are called to that those missionaries who are stepping across borders, we ask that you would indeed get them back into the nations that they're seeking to go to. Get them into those places and give them strength. Give them that opportunity to to reach out and that plan. Help them absorb the information that they need to have to bring the gospel across those cultural boundaries. And finally, God, we just lift up those those we know who are in other religions, be them secular atheist religions, be them agnostic religions, be them um, other God religions, Mormons, and Jehovah's Witnesses, we just pray for an open heart, an opportunity to break through, that they would hear about the, the forgiveness of sins, the transformation of their lives, and the opportunity to truly know you, the living God. We ask that you would make us bold and be able to reach out, that our prayers as we close here may turn into action. Help us pay the costs that we need to pay, and may you be exalted in Jesus' name. Amen hey well if you were with us through this thing thank you for praying with me and we ask that you would just stick around one little bit longer and uh just let us know that you've been with us if you're our guest today maybe you're new Tell us and let us know we want to connect with user you and, and, and get to know you better and just text us the word new to the number at the bottom of the screen. That way you can indeed connect with us. The rest of us all branch. We are regathering. We are reassembling and it's always good in the middle of that to know that it's time to take a next step. Maybe that next step is into a small group. We want to encourage you to take that step into small groups this year and begin to develop. We're going to be having actual little small group mini curriculum. We did it a few years ago. It's called wannabe. We want to get you that chance to jump in start a group with a family that you're connected with some friends that are right there with you does when I say small group it does not have to be 12 it could be four people it could be eight people it could be you know some number of you and another family you and a set of friends so please uh, connect with some people begin at that community reconstitute your small group get back with them meet with them meet with them outside it's warm enough Take your camping chair. But maybe it's just taking a step in our discipleship pathway as well. These are all available, including membership. We want to challenge you. It's time to grow. It's time to get moving again. And it's time to reassemble. We're looking forward to seeing how we grow together over this year. God bless you guys. And I pray that we would continue in our prayers. We will see you next week.